The following talk was given at the Insight Meditation Center in Redwood City, California. Please visit our website at audiodharma.org. Okay. Well, we're getting near the end of uh, now many months, a series of talks on the four foundations of mindfulness. And um, the, uh, the way I've been somewhat talking about it is that uh, in the way that this instruction is given by the Buddha in a text called the uh, Discourse on the Four Foundations of Mindfulness, Satipatthana Sutta, uh, it's, uh, there's a sense, or at least the way I read it, of uh, it being a journey, a movement, an unfolding over time, a deepening. And, uh, and that's often what happens in meditation. There's a evolving a meditation, a maturing of it, a deepening of it that goes on. And, um, and I want to give a few uh, metaphors for this, or similes for this. And one of them is um, uh, if you take a light bulb and maybe uh, and you, it's been covered with black you know, electrician's tape or duct tape or something, and you turn the light on, uh, you know, the bulb might go on, but there's no light that's going to come out of that bulb. But if you slowly begin peeling off the black tape, then first you get a little bit of light coming out and then a little bit more and more. And eventually, uh, when uh, all the tape is off, you, it's a whole, the light bulb radiates its light out and the light fills the whole room. Before that, the room was dark, maybe. And um, so there's a movement there, slowly taking off the, the tape and slowly more and more of the light bulb is revealed and more and more light shines out. In some ways, that's what goes on in the mind, that uh, we have the equivalent of tape, that things that hinder the light of the mind, the clarity of the mind. And the meditation practice slowly uh, helps us to shed that. And so there's a lot of clarity that arises. And some people actually refer very explicitly, explicitly to a sense of light that they almost see, kind of inner light or something that comes as the practice deepens. Another metaphor that's used a lot, and maybe you've heard of this, is, um, is that of, a, of a, a, a still forest pond. If, uh, if it wasn't still, and maybe the cattle or the animals ran through this small pond, then it stirs up all the mud, and it's all muds aren't so, mud is in solution, and you can't see, and the, mud is not, the, the pond is not clear. But if you leave the uh, pond alone to be still, the mud settles down, and uh, the pond becomes clear. So there's a process of if you leave it alone, it settles and clarity arises. So the same thing with meditation. There's something important about meditation is learning to leave the mind alone, but radically alone, uh, that uh, allows things to settle and then clarity uh, arises. And um, the... uh, let me see, I had one more metaphor I wanted to use, but maybe it's gone. It's been shed. And, um, oh yes, that was it. Now it came back. And that is, um, if you uh, go backpacking and with a heavy pack, you know, you're hiking along with a heavy pack and you've hiked for many miles, hiking up a steep mountain to the weight of the pack, and then you get to maybe the top of the mountain and you take the pack off, 
suddenly you feel lighter. It's almost like you can lift, you feel like you're lifted or kind of floating almost and it's so much easier to go. And, and, uh, and if you start walking without the pack, if you wear a pack, my wife's been, my wife's been hiking for many, many days. She, she's doing what's called the Pacific Crest Trail. And there was one section of the trail for a day where she did it without her backpack. And she said it felt like she was, fly, it felt like she was flying. And, you know, that she went along. And, uh, and so, um, you know, so meditations like that, you're dropping a burden, the weight that we carry. Uh, we've carried, you know, a lot of tension and struggles and burdens and responsibilities that we carry in this kind of mindscape that we have. And when, uh, when meditation helps us to uh, drop that, something shifts and changes and we feel different. We feel lighter and more upright. And sometimes in meditation there's an upward movement of the body as it straightens out with the, the burdens of our life begin settling and we get focused. The, uh, in this uh, last section of the Four Foundations of Mindfulness, the fourth foundation, that of the Dhammas, the, the, the laws or the patterns or the truths of, that are revealed in this practice, um, it it's, uh, begins by talking about those things which um, darken the light bulb or fill the pond with mud or the heavy weight that we carry. And these are called the five hindrances. And so part of the deepening of the practice is to learn how to uh, be wise about these, see them that they're there, these forces in the mind, and have them quiet down or settle down or, you know, uh, uh, go out of solution or get peeled off the light bulb. And these five are preoccupations, strong preoccupations of the mind uh, into, in, uh, with desire. It's often called sensual desire for comfort and sensual pleasures of every type. There is uh, ill will, resentment, hostility, anger that we might have. And then there's um, um, a uh, lethargy and resistance. So we might be caught up in a kind of strategy of kind of just resistance or lethargy or giving up or kind of despairing and the energy just drops from our system. Or there might be the opposite, that there's a lot of restlessness, agitation, regrets, that we're kind of stirred up and agitated, that we're preoccupied with. Or we're preoccupied with doubt. Those are the five that the Buddha listed. And these are quite strong. And, uh, and as these settle down in the mind, no longer operating, things begin shifting in our mind and body. Uh, there's a lot more clarity because these hindrances, preoccupations, obscure the clarity of the mind. Uh, uh, There's much more feeling of lightness and softness because these hindrances tend to be hard and heavy in the, kind of on the mind, the heart. And and so there starts being a shift. And uh, that shift moves in the direction of what the topic is today, which is called the seven factors of awakening. These are seven states of mind that begin to bubble up, to surface, to radiate when the, these hindrances abate. And these are kind of like the, um, the little bit, there was, uh, the initial rewards of Buddhist meditation because they feel so sublime, so wonderful when they become strong. And, um, and they are, so these seven uh, very beneficial states 
sometimes they're considered kind of like the crown jewels of Buddhism. Um, if you know, if anything, there's like the treasures. They're literally called sometimes gems or treasures. And so you know, you go to a museum to see the crown jewels of a country, and you go to your own mind to see your own crown jewels, your own gems. They're, they're considered that precious. So there's seven of them, <coughs> and uh, the first is mindfulness itself. The second, and mindfulness here is not a practice we do, but a state of mind that we obtain or that arises or is there. The second is usually in English is translated as investigation, which gives the sense of a lot of work. And I have to investigate. Um, the, um, uh, and I'll just say more about it later. The third is um, energy or effort, engagement. We engage in the practice. The fourth is um, joy. The fifth is tranquility. The sixth is concentration. And the seventh is equanimity. And these seven states, um, uh, you know, I can imagine some of you have never heard this list before. And so maybe the words don't mean much for you and they're kind of dry and, you know, you know maybe uninteresting and maybe even uh, slightly... Um, um, bad news, you know, not so, not, not, you know, not, not doesn't excite you, like, wow, that's a great, you know, energy, great, let's put energy in, oh my God, more and more energy, I've been busy all day, I'm exhausted. Um, in the time of the Buddha, there were, um, he had a monastic, a, fr- a friend, a, 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 a monastic, who was sick, and so the Buddha went to uh, visit him, and, um, and this monk was a meditation monk, so he knew these states. And so the Buddha basically did kind of a guided meditation to evoke these seven states of awakening, seven states, seven factors of awakening, enlightenment. In the, um, and the monk kind of, because it was, he was so familiar with them, the Buddha kind of could evoke them by naming them, and then he got well. That's kind of a nice story. But uh, in fact, when these things are quite strong, people who have these experience of having the seven factors of awakening <coughs> coursing through the body, uh, it feels very healing. And I felt them. It felt kind of like this, almost you know, like, the only way I could describe this energy or this vibration or sensations that were flowing through, flow through my body was that it, this felt amazingly healing, this sensation and feeling. Uh, the mind feels very sane when the seven factors of awakening are mature and strong. So like maybe the sanest or the healthiest the mind can be in. And they're not so much things we have to do, but rather things that we allow for. We set the conditions for them and then they mature and they arise. And this is the kind of this wonderful interplay in meditation practice between um, what we do and what we allow. And some people don't understand that balance. And so to find that balance is part of it. Some people here, you're supposed to, you know, focus on your breathing. And so they put all their effort into, you know, staying, getting concentrated, and they get a headache. Um, and other people think, oh, just, you're supposed to just sit there and do nothing. And they just kind of sit back and they fall asleep. Uh, it's a combination of two things. And the example uh, would be, um, maybe, would be if um, maybe you're stressed from a busy day and preoccupied with many concerns and you feel like you want to take a little break from it all and get refreshed. And so maybe you, uh, you listen to music. 
Maybe you put headsets on and you close your eyes, lay on the floor and listen to the music. And part of you um, is really focused on the music. That's what, you're, that's what you set yourself up to, to do, is to focus on the music. But if you're going to enjoy the music, you don't focus too hard, right? You, you're there, fully there, but you're not going to work at it exactly. At the same time, uh, there's a letting go of the concerns of the day. And these two things are happening together. We're letting go of some of the doings we had, and we're still doing something, which is we're listening to the music. So in meditation practice, we're doing something, we're bringing some focus perhaps to the present moment, bring focus to the, if you're using, using the breath as a focus, bring focus to the breath, to the breath, and, uh, and then tuning into the music of the breath, to the rhythm of the breath, to the sensations, to, you know, uh, that's where we get, a, you know, can we focus on. But at the same time, you don't want to try too hard, because uh, that just messes things up, like trying listening too hard to music. Um, and, but you also don't, you want to let go of all the other things that get in the way, the thoughts of the day, the concerns, the preoccupations. And so these two things work together. And the letting go of, uh, creates mental space, or heart space, or physical space inside of us. It's kind of like we're getting rid of the clutter so something can grow and develop inside. And what grows and develops are these seven factors of awakening. As we begin letting go of the hindrances, we let go of our preoccupations. So part of the reason to talk about the seven factors of awakening is so meditators can begin to recognize them when they arise, as opposed to, here's one more set of things I have to memorize, these seven things, and I have to do them. And this Buddhist meditation, you know, I thought of was just sitting there and relaxing and de-stressing, but they give us all these lists of things to do, and, you know, it's, it's, I'm just getting confused. So I apologize for that. But uh, the idea is to do less. And, but one of the ways to do that is to begin to recognize what begins to shift and change, to recognize the unfolding of the journey of meditation, to be able to track and watch the shifts and changes in the mind, the heart, and the body as we sit down and do very little except be awake and be present. And then at some point to recognize the awakening or the arising of these seven factors of awakening. And that's one of the instructions the Buddha gave here. Recognize and it's the arising of the factors of awakening that have not yet arisen. I'll say it differently. Recognize the unarisen factors of awakening when they arise. So it's just recognizing they're coming. It doesn't say crank them up. You know, you know, like, yeah, you know, just you know, do do them better. <laughs> so it's a remarkable process of of, of how, this, and then the recognizing creates more space, and the recognizing allows this amazing process to go on inside. I mean, I, when it started happening to me, I was just kind of in awe of what this mind can do and what the process of this meditation can unfold and that these natural, beautiful, powerful natural processes like the, you know, like the weather or the wind or you know, tectonic plates shifting and moving. I don't know what you want to compare it to. Looking into the Grand Canyon, wow. To look into your own, into in your inner life and watch it unfold and open and these forces come alive and sit there, it's quite a phenomenal 
experience to appreciation and valuing. And so to recognize these arising. So mindfulness practice is a practice of recognition, the practice of bringing attention to what's going on. Mindfulness practice, that recognition, that uh, noticing and naming and coming back and being present uh, allows for a state of awareness to begin developing, clear awareness. What's uh, distinct from mindfulness practice is mindfulness. Mindfulness being a state of awareness that's able to abide and rest in the present moment and experience what occurs, what comes and goes in the present moment. So the ability to uh, get out of the way enough to keep recognizing what's happening in the present moment, to get out of the way, to no longer get caught up in the past and the future, allows there to a surfacing, a bubbling up or clearing the field for a field of awareness, present moment awareness. And that feeling of present moment awareness is quite delicious when it's established and you're here and you're not wandering off a lot and it feels so good to be here, wow. And then when you're here uh, and present and aware, then uh, there's a natural process of being seeing things more clearly. There's, no, there's less obscurations. And so we start seeing more clearly. And, and what, we call, what, what in English we call investigation, in the ancient world, uh, literally means to, to distinguish or differentiate what's happening here, to tease apart what's happening. So for example, uh, the, um, um, I might be sitting here feeling uh, some physical pain. In fact, I am. I, 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 I sprained my ankle a couple of weeks ago and it still hurts a little bit. And if I press it a certain way. So I'm, so I, and I'm pressing it the wrong way right now. <laughs> and um, kind of, a little bit. So, so it hurts a little bit down there, my ankle. And um, so I, I can feel the pain and I can feel that um, uh, the mind has some preoccupation with it. So I can see those two are happening in the present moment. There's the pain, there's the f- feeling of the pain. The, am, I, am I doing the right thing with it right now and checking it out? So these are two different things. I can notice that I have a little bit of um, uh, delight about focusing on the pain as I'm sitting here because it's kind of delightful to kind of feel present and connected. Maybe it feels kind of odd to say that around pain, but in fact, that's what I feel. So it's not like I'm investigating, looking for these things, but as I sit here and just open to the field, I start seeing these different pieces of it that I wouldn't have seen if I hadn't taken this little pause in the talk to, to, do, this, to do this exercise. I would have gone on and kind of, this would have been receded into the background. But I start seeing more clearly the terrain. I might see that I have my, my mind begins going off on a thought train about it. You know, it didn't happen, but I could imagine, you know, oh, this means that they're probably gonna amputate tomorrow. You know, this is going to be terrible, you know, and the mind goes off that way or, or maybe, you know, whatever, you know. And so if you really sit back and really can start to be clear, we start the, 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 what can initially seem like a big buzzing confusion of anarchy and chaos of our experience becomes less and less chaotic as we begin seeing distinctions 
until such a point where we see things in their uh, uh, simplest uh, manifestation. And one of the things we're looking for in mindfulness is um, uh, quieting the thinking mind enough, the conceptual mind that has stories and ideas and plans and reactions to what's going on. So we're not seeing our experience through the lens of those ideas, but rather we're seeing things in their simplest possible manifestation. So I can feel, you know, I could be feeling my pain in my ankle, but mostly what it is is, um, you know, uh, you know, I might be caught up in worry about what it means, and I'll never be able to walk again, and I can't afford a doctor, and this is a terrible life, and why was I, you know, ended up like this? And it's just a big buzz of confusion. I can't really see the details at all. But if I relax all those thoughts and concerns, and I drop down and be very quiet and peaceful, the simplest manifestation of that pain uh, has, in and of itself has no worry in it, has no ideas of the future, no ideas of doctors. It's just a kind of sharp little searing heat and vibration that feels a little bit between hot and cold. That's what I feel right now. And, um, and so just the simplest manifestation of it. And as I tune into these things really carefully, um, I see that actually it's not a single sensation. It's a series of sensations that are uh, like a dance that come into existence and vibrate and dance around, move around, come and going. And it becomes a whole different phenomena than they're going to amputate my foot tomorrow. You know, and all those concerns. You know, that's just like a gross, very high-level kind of interpretation of the event. So I don't know if this was the best example to give you for what I'm trying to say. I apologize for that. But, um, uh, but it's just what came up. It's, you know, when I stopped to pay attention, notice myself, that's when I noticed. So um, the... Um, the um, so, uh, so as we have developed this clarity, what arises is the ability to start seeing the distinction, the, the simple manifestation of the different things, and they're not all lumped together in a big lump. That's interesting. And there's a way in which it's very interesting to start experiencing life directly <coughs> behind the veil of all the thoughts, ideas, concerns, plans, memories that kind of make it all confusing, make it all kind of murky and fill, fill the pond with mud. And as, the, as it gets clearer and clearer, uh, there's a tendency for the mind uh, to start getting interested, to be in, wanted to engage. And there's a f- feeling of health, a healthy way of engaging. I don't know if any of you have ever done something like going hiking or do some exercise or something. And at some point, something clicks in and uh, it just feels like the system just loves doing the hiking. It's just like just going and going. and it just, You don't want to stop because the system is engaged. So no one has to tell you, you know, you go out there and hike. You know, I'm hiking. You know, hike harder. <laughs> you know, or you know, work at it. it. You know, at some point it feels like the naturalness of walking takes over and you, we're engaged. And it feels like it's the easiest thing to do. It's like you're flying maybe or something. It feels it can... And um, so sometimes there's a way of being engaged where the engagement takes over. It's not us doing it, 
but we're being done. So that can happen in many areas. People playing music can report that sometimes. People, you know, different things we do. And it feels like the engagement, something is taking over. We're being done too. So same thing happens in meditation. At some point, the engagement of mindfulness, of attention and recognition, is not something that is self-consciously done, but it's something that clicks. We just want to be engaged. And this is like one of the best things going. And it's better than going back to the old way, which was thinking about amputated, amputated feet than doctors. You know, just like, what's much better just to be in the simplicity of it all? As, it, as, we, as that interest and engagement develops, it seems like uh, the way that our psychophysical system is created, uh, when there's a kind of um, continuous focus of attention and engagement, it tends to release uh, good chemicals in our system. And it tends to kind of uh, make everything work in harmony in such a way that joy arises. Certain kind of delight and happiness, and uh, usually in Buddhism we call it joy, that arises. And, um, and again, it's something that arises. And the Buddha's instruction was, when unarisen joy arises, when joy which has, had no, has not yet arisen, it's no longer, it hasn't been there yet, when that comes, this meditative joy, recognize that it's there. As this joy factor develops, it can be quite intense sometimes. At some point, as the letting go process, the deepening process, the, the focusing practice continues, there starts to be a, a, a wonderful shift into tranquility. And this is a very sublime feeling. Uh, uh, it can be, uh, it, it tends to be a very physical feeling, um, embodied sense of tranquility uh, that might be spreading through the chest or the torso. It's, in me, it's very torso-based when this tranquility comes into place. A, a deep kind of glowing feel of peace and softness and serenity. And it's, again, it's not something, what's remarkable, as I keep saying, is it's not something I'm doing but it's, I'm being done too. It's arising out of the process of it all, out of you know the deepening of the practice. And then uh, that tranquility uh, gives a rise or supports the deepening of concentration, a steadiness of mind, the ability of the mind to be still, settled, steady, composed, and unified. The mind now is completely involved in the process of meditation it's not interested in anything else. It's kind of like, you're, this, is, this is the most delightful and pleasant place to be. And all the different capacities of the mind seemingly are absorbed and involved in the present moment of doing this one thing. And I think we know that in other endeavors besides meditation, <laughs> some people uh, 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 find tremendous uh, joy and delight in getting concentrated in some activity they do sometimes in sports or music or art or, you know, that you just really get absorbed in something and do one thing really well. And, um, you know, people get kind of high. Uh, the first time this happened to me in my life um, uh, was something that I, I told my kids about it. And you'll understand that they did not appreciate this. Um, and maybe I shouldn't, maybe it was not a successful parenting moment, but... Um, the first time I really noticed, for me, this kind of joy arising uh, from being absorbed in something 
was taking uh, final exams in college. <laughs> you know, I would study and study and study and learn all this material that, uh, would, that was in there. It stayed in my memory for about 24 hours. But it was long enough for the test. And then I would sit down and I'd get completely absorbed in the test. And, uh, you know, I wasn't thinking about getting absorbed. I was just, that's, the world was just a test. Everything else I could think about disappeared. And when I left that, those exams after two hours or three, whatever, three hours or whatever, how long it took, I would go out and I'd just be like stoned. It was like, a, you know, a natural high. It was like so wonderful. Like my mind was so clear, so empty. I felt so, you know, so much. I wasn't happy about the exam. But I was just happy. And, um, and so just, you know, being absorbed. So uh, just, so anyway, so, and then when that settles down and we move into this tranquility, beautiful and we get concentrated and the concentration is anyway I think I'm kind of confused here because concentration brings more joy and so there's a whole process of deepening and deepening but as concentration deepens at some point it gets into a very tranquil place very peaceful place and then it moves into the deepest place and this is considered the most sublime or the most uh, satisfying state of these seven factors of awakening kind of the pinnacle of uh, meditation practice before the experience of enlightenment. And this is, um, and, the, and the word that's used here, for if, you know, if you're kind of uninitiated to all this, can seem kind of uninteresting or, you know, now you're talking about being aloof or it's dry or it has no emotional valence at all. So why is that interesting? The word is equanimity. And, you know, you know how can that be? You know, I think of it as one of the best emotions you could have. Most, most pleasant, enjoyable, happy, satisfying emotions you have. It's not plain. It's not dull. Uh, it's not aloof. But the mind is... Uh, is, is uh, it's like the mind is at its best because the mind is not reacting to anything. A reactive mind is agitated. A reactive mind is caught. A reactive mind is, is afflicted in a certain kind of way. The, the, but the, this beautiful mind we have can operate quite, quite well without reacting to anything. And to learn to trust that we don't have to be doing and reacting and fixing and defending, and all the reactions go away, the mind becomes still and even and quiet. Uh, and so things can happen, but it doesn't create any waves in the mind. The mind doesn't get agitated whatsoever. So this deep equanimity... So these seven factors of awakening arise as meditation deepens, arise as the hindrances and the preoccupations fall away. It's helpful to recognize when they arise because it's the recognition that kind of creates the space to allow them to grow or makes the space that allows for the continuing deepening or unfolding of the journey of of the mindfulness meditation that keeps going deeper and deeper. And then it comes to uh, equanimity and the value of equanimity uh, why, uh, is not to be equanimous for its own sake. The reason why it's held up as being so important is that uh, because the mind is not reacting to anything, uh, it, it, it makes possible for the mind to have two, it makes available to the mind two very important things. One is um, uh, the, the, the mind then becomes very soft, very malleable, uh, very, very kind of relaxed, whereas when it's reactive, it gets tense and held and and kind of tight or, 
or, you know, uh, hard. So the mind, you can feel the mind getting softer and softer and softer. And, um, and so when the mind is most soft or most equanimous, that's where uh, it's the easiest for the mind to let go further. But if the mind is tight, it's difficult to let go. So that's one. And the second is that an equanimous mind has no, no um, uh, filters of ideas through which we're experiencing what's going on. And so we can have a deeper insight into what's going on moment to moment that um, is normally not available to people in a more busy, conceptual thinking mind. And to be able to drop down to a very, very primal level in the mind to see the moment-to-moment arising and passing of experience is a phenomenal uh, stepping stone for liberation. And that's what we'll talk about next week when we talk about um, the final exercise, the final instructions or the final description of this process that uh, is given, um, it's usually referred to as the Four Noble Truths. And... uh, and so this uh, state of equanimity is a setup for experiencing the Four Noble Truths. The, um, so the seven factors of awakening are not an instructions. This teachings here is not instructions of what to do, but rather instructions of what to recognize. And so uh, that's why teachers like to teach them and help people get familiar with them and know what they're like. And by doing so, then uh, when they occur, people can recognize them. So we have about seven minutes left. And um, would you like to do a little guided meditation on the seven factors of awakening? And I'll guide you through them in a rather innovative way. And you might not be able to you know, follow along, but that's okay. What I'm going to offer for each of the seven factors of awakening is a single word to represent that factor. And as you hear this word, welcome that word into you in the way that maybe if you were stepping out of the cold and into the warmth of the sun, you might step forward, open your arms wide, your chest open and out to receive the warmth. So imagine that these words are kind of like the warmth of the sun and you let them settle in or absorb into you and see what resonates, see what opens in you. See if if there's something inside that corresponds to these words that is kind of a good thing or satisfying, something inside that, ah, yes, this is good.
So to begin though, you might take a few long, slow, deep breaths. And part of the value of taking deep breaths at the beginning of meditation is to feel connected to your body, to know that you have a body and to inhabit your body, to be here with your body. And then letting your breathing return to normal. Maybe feel your body. If there's any obvious places that you can relax, relax around the face, the shoulders. Maybe you can soften your belly. And maybe as you exhale, you can relax your thinking mind. Perhaps even to a very small degree, perhaps you can let your thoughts either slip, fall away, drift away like a thought bubble, or let your thoughts recede into the background. So for the, for the mindfulness factor of awakening, I offer you the word here, here, here in this body, in this place, this time. Step forward into here. for the investigation factor of awakening. The word is this, just this. Here, just with this, whatever it might be that appears. This. And then for the effort factor of awakening, the word is yes. Yes. To being present here with this. For the joy factor, not quite a word, but it's the sound, ah. And that word you might quietly say to yourself as you exhale, ah. here with this, 
yes. And then for the tranquility factor, it's a simple word, relax. Here with this, relax. It's okay. And, and then for the concentration factor of awakening, the word is steady. Let yourself be steady in the middle of this here. Steady. And then for the equanimity factor, the word or this little phrase is, it's okay. It's okay. Here, whatever this is, it's okay. Here, this, yes, ah, relax, steady, It's okay. And if this little meditation has given you even a teeny little glimpse of what these seven factors might be for you and your experience, May those glimpses be a little seed that can keep growing for you and developing. So these seven factors of awakening become your companions and your friends and your supporters. And you'll find that they're much better friends than the hindrances. Even though people don't think this way, functionally, (coughs) 
people tend to trust the hindrances and preoccupations. If we didn't trust them, we wouldn't spend so much time in them. And the shift that happens in this practice is we begin trusting the seven factors of awakening more than the hindrances. And that's a great thing to trust these things. So, but you have to know how to recognize them. So may that recognition become yours. Thank you.